Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Noggin Notes. You know that because you purposely clicked on this to listen to it. <laughs> uh, and I am Jake Wiskirchen, the host of this podcast. And I'm really excited for two reasons. One is that this is the second installment of our two-part series on intuitive eating and nutritional insights and wisdom and how they, they connect to your, your mental well-being and also, as it turns out, to your relationships. And we get into that with Katie Damon, who is my uh, interviewee on this podcast. But the second reason is that we have a new sponsor for the show. It's not just Zephyr Wellness anymore. It's Audible. And uh, Audible, if you're not familiar, is an audiobook company hosted through Amazon. And if you go to audible.com, you can uh, you can actually go to audible.com slash noggin notes and get a free 30-day trial complete with a credit for a free audiobook download. And even if you cancel the trial, you get to keep the audiobook. It's pretty sweet. So um, I'm stoked. I, I, I love that we're offering our listeners a free audiobook with with a 30-day trial membership. Uh, so if you go to Audible Trial, I said audible.com earlier, but it's audibletrial.com slash noggin notes. Uh, you can browse the completely unmatched selection of audio programs. Um, there's there's all sorts of stuff. It's not just books. And download a, a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Just go to audibletrial.com slash noggin notes. And uh, you'll be helping us out because uh, that's how sponsorships work. And, and I'm excited because Amazon's like a super legitimate company. And Audible is a great way to hear your favorite written word over your Bluetooth in your car or in your headphones while you're uh, doing chores around the house or on the treadmill. So audibletrial.com slash noggin notes, free 30-day trial. You'll get a book and, uh, and we get a little little scratch. Another way to help support us is a new way that we just connected through Zephyr Wellness. And it's the Venmo account for Zephyr Wellness. Super easy to look that up. Zephyr Wellness is the handle on the Venmo account. So if you wanted to kick us five bucks or ten bucks, uh, it would be great because this stuff, as it turns out, doesn't pay for itself. Um, it's really expensive to host a pod- podcast, uh, 80 to 100 bucks a month, give or take, uh, depending on how many features you have and how much traffic you drive. We don't drive a ton of traffic, which is why it's uh, you know 80 to 100 bucks, but I imagine some of those really big ones probably drive a lot of traffic and the, and the costs are much, much higher. But to keep us going, if you like this program, feel free to, to kick us a few bucks either through Venmo at the Zephyr Wellness account and just put in the in the memo line noggin notes so we know where to send it in order to uh, keep our books balanced and all that. Uh, or you can go to audibletrial.com slash noggin notes and help support us that way. And that's enough of the financial stuff. Thank you for listening as always. It's a blessing to be able to bring this to you guys for free. And if you're so moved and you want to support us in one of those two ways, please do so. Otherwise, uh, this is second installment of our two-part series on nutrition and intuitive eating with Katie Damon from Community Health Alliance. Thanks for listening. Hey, so we're back with part two of our intuitive eating slash, uh, what are we calling this? Nutrition? series yeah nutrition two is a series right yeah uh our two part two i see what you did there you couldn't see it on air because she put two fingers up and this is radio um but she put two fingers up and made a pun so intuitive eating part two uh and that voice you hear that's not mine is katie damon she's from community health alliance here in reno nevada and you can find out more about them at chanevada.org doing good things uh we've had a couple other people on 
noggin notes before, but we're we're going to resume this. And, and where I left off, if memory serves, was I I teased a little bit the the second installment, which this is, by saying um, I want to learn more about disordered eating or eating disorders. And uh, you corrected me pre-show because uh, I said eating disorders, and that's a clinical term uh, that begets some uh, diagnostic stuff. And if you can, if you hear the grunting in the background, that's my dogs wrestling with each other. Also makes for really good uh, podcasting. Stop it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's a family-friendly show. So <laughs> um, the eating disorder stuff, you correct me and said disordered eating. And I, and I instantly went, yeah, I appreciate that. And I, I uh, respect the, the correction in language because I'm a, I'm a language nerd. But I want you to explain what you mean because I know what you mean. But I want yeah. the audience to know and they, they're done hearing me talk. Well, yeah. So, I mean, if you look at like an eating disorder, that's more of a clinical diagnosis. But there are disordered eating behaviors and patterns that usually a person has engaged in that has led up to a full-blown clinical diagnosis. So it's just acknowledging that there are patterns of behaviors um, that have led up to that. And we want to correct and address more of the disordered eating patterns before it's a big problem. Right. Um, so what are, what are, what do these patterns consist of and how do you, how do you identify them in your scope of work? I know what they look like in my scope of work, but tell me, tell me a little bit about where you see them. Um, well, I mean, when we talk about disordered eating behaviors, I mean, that's quite a, a broad range where we see them as far as like specific to like our healthy living program. That can even be something where we're talking about skipping meals, um, or there's a severe focus on, you know, portions and restricting portions to an unrealistic expectation. Um, but, you know, especially for teenagers and young uh, children, skipping meals is usually like a, a common one that will pop up. And it's not a normal eating pattern when we talk about like you know healthy normal eating patterns and we're not talking about skipping meals like you got busy in the day and um time ran away from you and you forgot this is intentional uh willful skipping of of meals for the purpose of losing weight or whatever correct right i mean obviously there are those times that you know you have intermittent uh incidents right that aren't necessarily calculated right 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 um but you know ones that are more habitual um not not eating breakfast on a regular basis whether you know there is a concern of weight and thinking that overall calorie restriction will um aid them in their seek for whatever they view the ideal to be Um, but when we have talked about kind of intuitive eating Um, And how that can address some of those disordered eating behaviors is, again, restrictive dieting oftentimes sets you up for failure. So it's trying to remove some of those, quote unquote, food rules um, that people will focus a lot on. And by food rules, you know, that can... That can be um, certain calories of the day. It can be like what types of foods um, we should or shouldn't be eating. Oftentimes, food in in diets and um, certain diet mentality, you have good and bad food. So we're almost putting a moral aspect on Mm. our food choices. Mm. Interesting. So uh, you read my mind about the the food rules. Mm Mm-hmm. And I wanted to to get into that a little bit more specifically. So a food rule might be uh, calories or or pounds or or that kind of thing. Um, But 
give me give me a few more that people use because like I'm I'm hearing this and my my ears are playing tricks on me apparently because I I go by food rules not necessarily calories per day that just sounds like a pain and I don't want to calculate it and not really even pounds but I do want to stay within a certain range and and pounds seems like a decent enough guideline. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about food quote unquote rules, you know, think about some of the phrases that you hear. So uh, I'm going to use bananas as an example is bananas. It's a fruit, right? It's loaded with lots, it's got fiber, it's got vitamins and minerals delicious. in it. Yeah, they're delicious. My kids love them. But some of the, a food rule might be, well, bananas are bad for you or that bananas are going to add belly fat. Bananas are the highest amount of sugar in that's a That's really fruit. out there? This is a thing? Yeah, yeah. That's a, re- that's a message when we talk about fruit and other foods um, that people hear. So within fruits, which is a healthy food, there are these rules that, well, I can't choose certain fruits because they're high in sugar, and if I eat those, um, then I'm going to gain weight or have higher belly fat. That makes no sense. Like, I, I, I mean... It's nonsensical to me that that there would be rules within rules about fruit. I mean, so okay, fruit's good, right? We'll yeah. judge. We'll judge that. That's a yeah. fruit's a good thing. We want more fruits, but then within the fruits, there's sub layers of fruits, or there's meta fruits that aren't allowed in in diet culture. Where does yes. this come from? <laughs> is this is this research based, or is it just somebody's di- crazy idea? Because one time they ate a banana and they felt bloated, and they said. They publish something. Well, it's a way to obviously we can market something. It's a way for someone to buy into a certain diet, um, which is oftentimes maybe not the healthiest approach. And, and it's all in marketing. Um, or if we talk about a food rule of carbohydrates, that carbohydrates are bad for Evil, you. Yeah. yeah, yes. And that we should all be on a really low carbohydrate diet. There's certainly research out there that says, you know, we shouldn't be eating highly processed carbohydrates. Right. Um, but but taking... that's stuff like crackers from a box. That's not a banana. Correct. Correct. And certainly bananas fall under, they are a type of carbohydrate. Yeah. Um, but it's, we're trying to say, okay, you've, a lot of people when they have been in a cycle of diets, they have taken on a lot of these rules because they followed different diets, which have a different set of rules. So they've just kind of accumulated more and more and more rules where wow. now their their way of eating is so restricted. Um, and again, you can't really survive in the real world uh, when you have all of these rules stacked up against you. It just sets right. you up for failure. Yeah, well, and, and I'm sitting here thinking it creates anxiety. I mean, yeah. it, anybody who's listened to this show for any length of time knows that I've, I've referenced my own spirituality and, and, um, and regardless of spirituality, spirituality as a whole should be a a release. It should be a freedom. It should be a stepping into, um, liberty. And I think that big religion tends to trump that and crush it with its rules and restrictions and legalism. And and it ends up creating this negative effect on the people who are trying to become spiritual, trying to tap into who they they truly are and who the depth of of themselves uh, could be. Uh, because they're so bound, they're so rule bound, and the rules are arbitrarily created by men on Earth mm-hmm. or women, and um, and for the purpose of probably driving congregation size. And I'm hearing this almost like an, a parallel with diet culture. These rules are created to uh, give some false sense of uh, idea or belief that following them will result in desirable achievements of of body image or look or or health or however we define it. 
But then as one diet inevitably fails, and we have tons of research that suggests that, and you're nodding your head, um, they'll grab another diet. But they won't discard the rules of the previous diet. So you get this Frankenstein mm -hmm. level of thinking that then turns into um, not being able to eat anything without either worrying or shame. Correct. So so you got like you you got multiple disordered types of thinkings and behaviors going on here. Right. And I think, you know, what you're when you're talking about religion and is that with all the rules then it destroys the relationship aspect. Yeah, absolutely. So, so think then tying it in with food when you then have all of these rules we have to think of how that affects the food relationship. How does that then affect a person's relationship with food? And it's usually not in a positive sense. I was uh, imagining people giggling there when they were, when you were talking about relationship with food, but um, then you you went on and clarified. It's like your your relationship with food is not uh, some intimate romantic one, though it right. can be. And and I know there are great mindfulness exercises around appreciating the food, really tasting it, closing your eyes, and really you know slowing down so you're not scarfing your food, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But you're talking about like an an emotionally aversive reaction to food. If you see something that has been branded for you through marketing as bad or as good, you're going to gravitate to one or pull away from another without even thinking about it. And that's the relationship you're talking about. Right. Well, and that relationship can be then how are we using food uh, in, in our day? Are we using food um, because we put so many rules on it and that if we um, choose quote, the quote unquote good foods and then that makes us feel more, you know, satisfied about ourselves and makes us feel like we're a good person versus we choose more of what we deem as bad foods and then somehow we internalize that and make that makes us feel like a bad person um we can use food for um status uh really as well well so if you think about food if we if we have said that a lot of times we moralize food choices by using them as there's certain good foods or there's certain bad foods um or or get stuff so we choosing more organic then we have more like social capital interesting yeah okay. so so there's like a virtue signaling going on with with what type of diet you choose to follow there can there can be again it's it's more of what are people choosing to food when we talk about appetite right we have to recognize that food does play essentially two roles. It plays a role that it our bodies need the nutrition mm -hmm. and the nourishment that comes from food. But then there's the other component that food is also very pleasurable. Enjoyable, yeah. Yeah, we enjoy the taste of it. We enjoy the smell of it. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes because we've established all of these food rules, we've taken all of the enjoyment factor out of it yeah. comple completely. And also we might have ignored that some of the, the nourishment aspect that some of the foods that we are deeming as bad still We fit. need them. Yeah. That like we fat. Do. Yeah, like fat. And we do need carbohydrates. Yeah. Um, oftentimes if people are following maybe um, a very high fat or high protein diet, that usually means that they're having a low fiber diet. Um, and so you get constipation um, mm. possibly because of that. And then it also means that you're missing out on those vitamins and minerals that are typically with foods that have lots of fiber. So I'm going to use keto as an, it's not a, a dig on ketogenic diets because they do serve a medical, um, 
a purpose in medical nutrition therapy. You might want to explain all of that because I'm kind of dumb when it comes to yeah. dieting. So, well, we, we, ketogenic diets are an extremely high-fat diet, and there's different levels and varieties of ketogenic diets as far as what percentage of your diet is coming from fat. It is used in medical nutrition therapy for... Um, epileptic patients to control uh, seizure, seizures. Uh, and, and then, but these patients are usually monitored. Yeah, they're under a doctor's care. Correct. Um, and so when we talk about a ketogenic diet possibly being utilized um, by someone not being monitored, um, people might have symptoms like flu-like symptoms because they're not getting thing, electrolytes like potassium, um, that which is common in fruits and vegetables. Um and they're usually recommended to take a lot of supplements, which to me is always a flag. If you have a diet that says eat this way, but then you're going to need to eat all of these supplements because red flag, that means that your diet's not getting them. Mm, um, so it's mm-hmm. not really a, a diet. It's not healthy. No, it's not a diet that's meeting your full nutritional needs. And when we talk about food, food serves a purpose of nourishing our bodies and providing the nutrition that we need on a daily basis. So this really all goes back to balance and mm-hmm. being able to uh, trust that our bodies know what they need. Um, what, and I do want to get circle back and get into the types of, um, I guess you call them fad diets. Um, but for now, I just want to hover right here and, and ask about when when I have conversations with uh, people who are struggling with eating disorders, th- w- what I often get uh, pushback on is, well, humans today aren't like humans used to be, and our bodies are naturally now accustomed to, and I'm putting air quotes in that that the audience can't see, they're accustomed to processed foods, uh, preservatives, and that kind of thing. So therefore, it's almost like this mental justification to keep uh, indulging in the bad patterns. And I, and I think I can identify with that a little bit because when I was in college, I ate like crap. I was a garbage disposal because when you're 22 and you're burning 10,000 calories a day, you can kind of afford to be. Um, and then when I went home for dinners with my family, a nice home-cooked meal by mom, my body just revolted. Like it was, it was nothing against my mother. She's always made amazing food my entire life. Um, but my, my body just didn't know it because it had established its own homeostasis with, uh, you know, Jack in the box instead of, uh, you know, home cooked pork loin. So I can kind of identify with that. So if somebody tries to do a healthier diet and they're trying to break away from the the garbage that they've been putting in, the body will respond in a negative way. And it it sounds to me like they're doing some mental acrobatics to justify continuing in the, in the old habits, but I don't have enough knowledge and maybe you do, and you can share that with us about how to counteract that kind of logic and if if you even hear it i know i've heard it well i think anytime i mean it goes also the other way too if someone um anytime we change our eating behavior sometimes we get a physical reaction out of it so if you have someone that typically doesn't consume a lot of fiber and then all of a sudden in a day they consume a lot of fiber Mm You might get some more flatulence that day, that um, some more bloating. Or if you are typically consuming a, a lower fat diet and then all of a sudden consume a lot of fat in, in a sitting, your body's not used to having to metabolize all of that at once. Um, and so you might get maybe some diarrhea just because your body isn't used hmm. to having to deal with all of that fat at once. Trying to take this seriously, but I've got beans, beans, the magical fruit running through my head. So. Yeah. Um, but to, to your point, though, the sharp, abrupt 
changes in diet will result in discomfort, no doubt. Yeah, there's def- definitely potential change for if you make a big, big change. One, a big change is usually harder to do, but you might see more physical symptoms uh, mm-hmm. from making a big change. So, you know, just like we do in our healthy living program, we're not trying to make huge adjustments. We're taking baby steps. And so if someone's looking to um, make a, a step in a certain direction, we'll, we'll give a baby step for them to do that. So if someone has a lot of rules around food, we might try to just like take out one of those rules. Right. Not all of them. Okay, not, so not, not all of them at once. Yeah, and that aligns with uh, psychotherapy. We don't we don't go in like a like a sledgehammer and start um, clearing the way because that's it's rude, right. uh, first of all. But it, but it's also very jarring to the psyche to be opened up and exposed and see the depth of oneself um, all at once. That's mm-hmm. very frightening, and you can chase people away from counseling that way. So in in diet work uh, or behavioral shaping, is I should re. re- just change my, my vocabulary around that. Um, in behavioral shaping for healthy eating, we want to do things um, one piece at a time and not jump in all at once so that we don't shock the system much in the same way that the counselors could shock somebody's system if they forced them to look at their, their past all at once or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so help me understand how you have the rules, you want to change the rules or take them away altogether and just trust the body's own instincts. Um and you want to shape behavioral patterns, but we're not calling it a diet. Where do you start <laughs> with this? Because I would think you you got to have some sort of guidelines. Be like, you know, Doritos bad, apples good. Um, but and and I'm purposely using judgmental language there yeah. um, because I think if you had the opportunity to eat one or the other, we would lean toward the Doritos because of all the stuff we talked about last time about they're they're tasty and they look good and they're they're bright in color and yeah. uh, and they have lots of salt. Um, but also we intuitively know that, that the apple's healthier. Mm-hmm. Um, it may not be as fun, but it's healthier. So, so how do we, how do we brand these things for people who are really struggling without being, without feeding into the judgmental language of the, the marketing? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, apples, you can make fun. Uh, and True. <laughs> so, carve faces in them and all sorts yeah, of things. Yeah. Um, Bob, fun, Bob for them in Halloween. Yeah. Fun dips or whatever. Um, so I think that comes into first Again, going back to the appetite, recognizing what is really controlling appetite and maybe some of the reasons of why we choose food. We know that we choose certain foods based on senses, and so we might need to have some sort of little control in our environment. So if we know the Doritos are the thing that we're going to be more likely to choose and we want to change that behavior, then we don't make them easily available. So we don't have them in the house. Maybe in order to make that Mm -hmm. choice, you have to go through a couple more steps to, to do that. And then maybe also think of what are some other reasons of maybe why I'm choosing, asking the question, am I choosing to eat the Doritos or the apple because I'm really hungry? Or is there something else going on uh, with me? Am I choosing to eat because of non-physical hunger reasons? Um, emotions? Am I feeling anxiety? Am I feeling stressed? Am I feeling sad? Am I feeling bored? Um, because we also choose to eat for some of those reasons mm-hmm. as well. Um, and if we're trying to shift someone's behavior and recognizing that they might eat for more emotion purposes instead of physical hunger, you know, it's it's one thing to recognize it. That's the first step, right? Of saying, yeah, I might choose to eat some foods because I'm feeling this certain type of motion and this is how I'm coping with that. 
Um, but it's not okay to just say like, well, you can't, you need to just stop doing emotional eating. Right. Cause well, that, that, that creates power struggle and people right. naturally rebel against that kind of thing anyway. Correct. But then also we have to give tools of, well, what do I replace it with? Right. So, um, you got to eat something. This isn't, this isn't, I mean, I, I, I appreciate first of all, that you keep using the, the choice language. It's really cool because it empowers the person to realize that it, it's not out of their control and it's not this. Uh, weird psychological chicken pox that just descends on them from out of the blue and seizes them. It's like, ah, oh, my eating disorder is back. Uh, no, you're, you're choosing to engage in these behaviors. You just have to make you aware of it. But also that you're, you're alluding toward almost an addictive pattern where um, you're evaluating the, the reasons behind it. But unlike an addictive pattern to, say, a substance, um, we, we, we can't just let go of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry. We can't just let go of food like we can let go of cigarettes. We, we need to replace it. Mm-hmm. Now, replacement is sometimes a good strategy for addictive patterns uh, so that you can titrate off or wean off. But we're not weaning off of food. We, no. we need it for the rest of our lives, right. li- quite literally. Yes. And, and sometimes that, that's then the conundrum is, you know, mm-hmm. okay, I'm recognizing maybe I'm um, – having this certain type of motion, which is what is kind of gearing me towards wanting to eat certain foods or eat a certain way. But we can't totally control our environment to say, well, food's just not going to be a part of my life at all. That doesn't work. Right. Um, But, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, so maybe you're having a stressful day. Recognize that emotion. And typically we gravitate to what's familiar and what we're used to, right? Those habitual patterns. Mm -hmm. And so you might choose to do a little bit of emotional eating, but if you recognize it, so I'll give an example, and this is a personal example of... We like personal disclosures (laughs) on this show. uh, Is, you know, work can be stressful, and there used to be a candy uh, tower right outside my office. A tower of candy? Yes. And and so sometimes I would get stressed, and you gravitate, and I'd grab a piece of candy, and then what I would say out loud is... I'm emotionally eating because now it's accountability. Are you sure it's not just um, excusing it away? No. It's, it's not just licensure like, ha ha, look at me. Uh, no, and you can make jokes until you die of Snickers or whatever. No, because what it, what it was forcing me to do is recognize that I'm feeling some stress right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm choosing to cope with that stress at this moment with a piece of candy. So if I have to come back again, now everybody knows that I'm stress eating. So, so the, the assumption is that other people will help you point that out and you you will stop or you'll slap your own hand out of the way. Or, or, or choose a different coping mechanism. So I'm like, okay, so I'm stressed right now. Right mm-hmm. now I'm choosing a coping mechanism of eating a piece of candy. But I'm going to go back into my office and maybe do a little bit of breathing mm-hmm. or squeeze a stress ball or do some stretching so that I don't feel so stressed and I'm not going to go back to okay. get some more candy. Okay. So it's giving giving families and, and participants some other tools. So we're going to recognize that, yep, a lot of people use eating as a coping mechanism. And we can't just say, well, don't do it. Mm-hmm. We have to also then give them some other coping mechanism skills. Right. So that when they when that emotion pops up, they have some some other tool in their toolbox besides emotional eating. So coming back to the fact, uh, the fad diets here, mm-hmm. if we, if we, if we, um, I, I like some examples cause I'm not, I'm not hip on these things. I know there's like Atkins and then there's some other things. There's, um, uh, paleo, 
and then and then we have diet plans like the Jenny Craig and the Weight Watchers and and their various uh, and they they seem to be proven to work from what I gather. Um, but that's also sounds like more of a lifestyle change than a than a diet. Um, so help me understand the difference between those two, and then also explain the differences among the types of diets and maybe some of the lingo and the and the language and the rules that are associated with them. Because I'm I'm imagining that like most human beings walking the earth, we've all tried something to change the way that we uh, appear, feel, perform, etc. And I, I would like the listening audience to be able to start to recognize some of their own language around this, that it may be from yesteryear and no longer serves them. And so they can start to let go of it if mm-hmm. they can identify it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, well, I'll kind of touch on some of the ones that are more popular right now. Okay. Um, we kind of touched on ketogenic. That's a pretty uh, popular um, diet. That blows my mind, by the way. I, I didn't want to move I, I, back in, when we were talking about it. I meant to jump in. Right? So people are actually engaging in a diet that's high fat, high protein, low carb that requires supplements. And they think that's a good idea. Well, it gives it gives results. And that comes into that as humans, we like immediate yeah, satisfaction. quantifiable, right. yeah, tangible right. outcomes. And and there is research out there to show that it has, you know, benefits as far as when we're talking about if someone has some in, insulin resistance, that it can help improve that. Um, but I always ask the question, you know, what other things have we tried? And also, if we're engaging in a new behavior that is restrictive, we should be thinking about how does this affect my relationship with food? Is this going to affect it in a positive or a negative way? And more often when something is a restrictive diet plan, it typically affects a relationship with food more negatively and I'm than guess- positively. Yeah. And, and I'm guessing that these, these people are grabbing these things and doing it because they think it's a good idea and they want to lose weight or something, not because they've consulted with their doctors and found out through blood tests that they're you know, insulin deficient or, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're kind of ad-libbing it mm-hmm. on their own, which seems very dangerous to me. And, you know, from social media or from bloggers, um, that's oftentimes where like the information might be coming from. Um, or there's all sorts of different types of high protein diets out there. So you had mentioned Adkins, paleo is often um, higher protein as well. So in diet culture, a lot of times it's taking really the same diet and repackaging it a little differently to sell it back to you. Mm -hmm. Um, cause then it's newness factor, right? Um, other ones, um, that are out there is, um, you have the diets where you're eating only within a certain time period. Uh, so, um, like sun up to sundown, intermittent fasting. So yes, sun up to sundown. (laughs) It's a good time frame, right? Um, and, and so again, that's most, most diets overall of why they typically work is because anytime you take out a food group, which a lot of diets do, they're taking out food groups, you're restricting your overall choices. Hmm. So if I'm following a diet that's much higher in protein than carbohydrates, then that means when I'm at the store or I'm, you know, at a restaurant, I can't. My, Your eyes just jump over certain things. Right. Like, right. okay, so I can't do French fries. I'm just going to do chicken. And I'm using fast food as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, because the potatoes are the carbohydrate, and I'm just going to do the 
the protein portion. But really, the danger is the reused oil that hasn't been changed in nine days. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so where if I wasn't following my high protein diet, I might have gone in there and chosen the chicken and the French fries. So I've increased my overall calorie consumption. Mm-hmm. But because I have a diet rule, air quotes again, that you air can't quotes see. again. Yep. Um, I've just reduced the amount of calories that I've consumed in a meal. And it's really, I reduced the amount of calories. It wasn't really because I chose a protein food over a carbohydrate food. So that now in my, I'm just playing devil's advocate here that in my mind, that sounds like an accomplishment. Like you want to reduce calories if you're trying to diet. And I don't even want to pretend that I know goals, lose weight, look better. But, but if you're doing the diet thing, restricting calories seems like the overall goal and so is like and and chicken sounds healthier than fries i'm trying to figure out what the what the problem is here sure (laughs) i think the 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 problem then is really more on on the why and are we choosing are we choosing the chicken because we'd really rather have the chicken than the fries oh okay right or you're assuming that we want them both equally right if we want both of them equally okay then let's figure out a way to have both of them equally maybe we do less of the chicken less of the fries quantity yeah 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 okay and asking the question why am i choosing to eat am i choosing to eat because i'm physically hungry which we should respond to that so when we talk about intermittent fasting you can have physical signs of hunger, but the rule is then you should ignore that physical sign of hunger because it's not time to eat yet. You should be getting all of your calories only between whatever time set that you, you have. I wanted to ask you something that I heard about some time ago that the uh, the three square meals a day, the three squares came from the British Navy back in like the 1600s, and they put square plates in racks on the ship so they wouldn't slide as the the ship tilted, you're you're giving me a surprised expression. Yeah, I'm getting I'm, a history okay. lesson. Well, I here. don't know. I was going to check, <laughs> but but that prior to that, and it was it was basically it was conscripted into the the, the military that everything has to be regimented. So we're going to regiment our meals too, and it was you know breakfast, lunch, and dinner, mm-hmm. and and that whole three meals a day thing is actually just hogwash anyway. It's just been handed down over time and introjected into our our heads. Um, and I may have the dates wrong. I'm just plucking stuff out of thin air. But I know that the story was British Navy square plates, ship rocking. Uh, so I don't know when the date necessarily was. But the point is, it's been around for a long, long time. And we never bothered to ask where it came from. Mm-hmm. And now you, you hear people saying, well, I'm I'm just much healthier when I'm eating five or six times a day in small quantities. Because I just feel better. Instead of like the, the big lumps of food that make us do the, the glycogen roller coaster or whatever. Right, your glucose. Glucose, not glycogen. Yeah. 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 So again, what, what I like about what you said about like maybe the five smaller meals is what that means is that person has identified that they, they're probably very in tune with their hunger cues mm-hmm. and that, okay, maybe I'm not hungry right first thing when I wake up in the morning and two hours later I'm hungry and I feel better, meaning fullness, right? I'm not uncomfortable if I eat a smaller meal versus I eat a larger meal. I'm getting a lot of uncomfortable sensations right but then we can sell you five hour energy for that 230 effect 
Sorry. What, yeah, and then what's the nutrition <laughs> in the five-hour energy? Although I mean, yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, what I like about, you know, that example is that person has probably paid a lot of attention to their hunger cues and their fullness cues and have found that they are more comfortable and they feel more satisfied with those smaller, more frequent meals versus you can have someone else that, you know, well, I wake up in the morning and I'm really hungry in a a little snack, I'm still going to have sensations of hunger and I need a little bit larger. So that might be that maybe they're eating three larger meals and one smaller snack. But the important distinction between that is that they're paying attention to their hunger and fullness cues. How do you teach hunger cue, hunger and fullness cues to somebody who's struggling to know what enough is and somebody who's struggling to know their motivations like emotional or fatigue or whatever, you know, mood eating. How, how do you do that? How do you teach a kid or, or even more so an adult who's never really paid attention? Right. It's more so the adults because, again, children oftentimes, their younger children, like we had mentioned before, your infants and toddlers are the ones that are much more in tune yeah. with those hunger and fullness cues. And then – we get in the way usually as adults we've gotten in the way and have essentially forced them to not recognize those hunger and fullness that baby cues. food jar thing from last episode really really stuck with me and i'm not even going to revisit it because if you listen to this and you didn't listen to the first one you need to go back and listen to it but that baby <laughs> food jar thing that i i carried that with me all week and i told like like a dozen people about it so <laughs> well well good so um if if you're like an adult and you're like well what does hunger really feel like um, that's where that mindfulness kind of comes in is, okay, well, maybe next time when you take a meal, hunger, we might not be able to recognize. Maybe we can at least recognize fullness before we're recognizing hunger. So mm. the next time you take a meal, slow the meal down because typically we're eating very fast. We're eating, uh, usually on average, like seven minutes is how long it takes someone to wow, eat a meal. Really? Um, and so it takes a lot longer for the stomach to communicate to the brain that you're full Mm -hmm. longer than seven minutes. So take the time to actually enjoy the meal, um, smell the meal. It'll probably feel very awkward at first, uh, because we, at least in America are very rushed. Um, so take time to enjoy it, smell it, make it look pretty, um, on, on the plate if you can. Um, smell it, you know, probably take more than two chews of your food, um, feel how it feels in your mouth again. And these are things that a lot of people have not done and will feel very awkward, but it will help them recognize, okay, what is my stomach feeling? Do I feel as hungry now as I did five minutes ago? And then once I may be starting to feel a little bit like uncomfortable or do I'm feeling comfortable right now? The comfortable spot is where we'd want to stop. But sometimes people might not recognize that and they might get to a little bit of like uncomfortable. Maybe their stomach is feeling a little more stretched. Um, So usually we'll start with, let's at first maybe recognize what fullness feels like, Um, slow down the meals, and then we can work on maybe what hunger feels like. Mindfulness, just to touch on that, I think I think it might be a mindfulness podcast because it, it, something's just stirring within me that it, it ripples out to other areas of your life. Where if you can slow down your meals, um, it creates a greater appreciation for everything. Mm-hmm. But it also, I think, increases the intimacy. And I'm connecting some dots here in my head about the relationship with food and 
interpersonal relationships with people and how we tend to avoid those things out of our own insecurities and um, emotional lack of tolerance and all that sort of thing. And I think if, if being that food is a, is a connecting um, event across most cultures, it really brings people together and some very significant things happen over the, the dinner table. If families are rushing their meals, they're not sitting down together and eating as a family, they're, um, they're just throwing food in front of their faces at, uh, while they watch TV. If you, slow, if you start with the meal and you start with the food, you slow down, you become more mindful of it, you become more appreciative of it, you start to become more appreciative of everything else around you, including your own relationships with your family members, and I think that a lot of improved harmony could be realized through just simply slowing down food consumption. Uh, typically, we're not eating on our own unless it's uh, you know at the at the desk at work. And and I would even say to to people listening, uh, break that habit if you can, unless you're working by yourself in a private practice somewhere. Uh, and even then, maybe walk across the street and you know eat your food uh, at least in a park. But get around other people and improve that connectivity so that you're not. Uh, driven by loneliness and and then I, I would I would assume that if those habits are in place there's a psychological connection that food now takes on a, a life of its own it's like it's only supposed to be consumed you know in these circumstances and then and then family dinner becomes weird if the TV's off right mm-hmm. so um, yeah I just wanted to to touch on that for a second. Yeah, no, I love the, um, the family dinner. I think a lot of, a lot of things happen when families eat dinner together. Typically meals are slowed down. Arguments, forks through the back of the hand. (laughs) Maybe that's just my family. (laughs) Those things can happen too. Stuff is on the floor. So I'm not, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to misrepresent and saying that, you know, if you have a family meal, that it's always going to be this peaceful Mm -hmm. environment and enjoyable. But if um, you have a family structure where it's typically everyone is eating kind of by themselves, um, you use the, you lose that social dynamic. And food is social. Um, it is. It Absolutely is. is. It is food Every is. commercial we see has people eating with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you t- think about like get-togethers with, you know, friends or family, there's usually food around it too. Um, but I love the example of, you know, how just having a family dinner can help towards moving to mindfulness. Um, maybe you're not doing all of the things that we mentioned before, but what it does do is it typically makes you slow down because maybe there's a little bit of conversation that happens. Right. Your family dinners might not be 45 minutes, but maybe instead of seven minutes, it extends, it takes 15 minutes, 15 minutes, you know? Um, and there's a little bit of conversation. The other great thing with families when you're talking about um, as far as parent, parents being there and children is it is an opportunity for role modeling as well uh, as far as if we're talking about are you wanting to teach certain types of manners or behaviors to your children um, when we're talking about um, you know if you're trying to get your child to eat vegetables, then as a parent, you know, it's a good opportunity to role model mm-hmm. eating some vegetables as well so that they see you eating that. Um, and if you're trying to introduce a new food, if the parent's also going to eat it, they're more likely to eat it because they've seen it being Absolutely. done. Yeah. yeah. So to, I guess to recap, because we're, we're coming up on a little bit of uh, time here, the, um, the disordered eating is not pathological 
necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's it, disordered eating is just a pattern of behavior that happens to center on food, because uh, we can have disordered all sorts of things. Um, but disordered eating, as opposed to eating disorders, is an important distinction I want the audience to hear. So that yeah, eating disorder is a diagnosable condition for which we can bill insurance. Disordered eating, all of us experience from time to time. Yeah. And um, we want to go easy on ourselves so that we're not we're not beating ourselves over the you know about the head and shoulders with uh, shame and that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. you can have a disordered eating pattern that can then be changed when you become aware of it and start doing something more desirable. But to fix that, we don't want fad diets. We don't want to grab something just because it's dangled in front of us through social media or advertisements uh, because. Research shows that they're not only temporary, but the, the effects don't last. Correct. Um, and so what we want to do is we want to trust our bodies and learn to listen to the cues and the signals and eat more intuitively and not be driven by rules and restrictions. Right. Is that about That's it? That's a fantastic summary. We didn't even need to do 40 minutes. We could have just done that and been done. Yeah. <laughs> One last thing, though. Um, help me understand. We live in an age of social media where, where everything's available on Google. Why are people still paying for these programs? Uh, I think it has to do that they're looking for immediate results. And, um, the, and the, I mean, rather than just like going on to Reddit and finding somebody, like, you know what I mean? Like, like, mm -hmm. hey, what do I do to follow the Atkins diet? And it's like, brrr, there it is in 0 0.07 seconds mm -hmm. if your Wi-Fi is slow. Uh, <laughs> like, how are these companies still in business? People are still paying for the original product when you can get all the tips and tricks for free, I would think. Yeah, well... Because it's packaged as, as a new a new thing, or they might add a few things to it. Um, I'll, I'm just going to... Version 2. Right. So think about businesses or um, water parks or amusement parks. Like, it's the same park uh, that you enjoy. But, but maybe they add, it's all still the mm, same things, mm -hmm. but they add a new slide so that you, yeah. you know, come and have a newer experience. Um and, and that's kind of the same with like foods and uh, is diets. A lot of times it's the exact same thing or very similar, but they've added a few extra rules usually into it so that it's repackaged and uh, you think that it's a, a new diet that's going to give you better results than the old one. We know that keto, what is it? Keto Ketogenic. Um, or I keto keep, for short. I keep thinking like Kato Kalen for some reason. It's not. It's keto. Uh, ketogenic is um, research-based, and we know that that has a specific uh, demographic that it's purposely used for. Yes. But are any of these others, like, based in any sort of scientific literature? Um, so there are, like, higher, like, some of your higher-protein diets, or I should say lower-carbohydrate diets. They've done research on, on that. Um, and so some people can benefit from a lower carbohydrate diet, but that's under physical. Yeah, it's usually care. for it's usually for like a medical reason, okay. not necessarily for someone that's uh, generally healthy. Right. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Well, I appreciate your time. Thanks. Yeah, thank um, you. We didn't introduce the audience. We have an audience today. Yeah, we have Yashila. She is our um, marketing coordinator from Community Health Alliance, and uh, Courtney, who's a dietetic intern from UNR, she's with me today as well. Say hi, distant ladies in the background. Hello. <laughs> Perfect. It's good audio. Um, for those of you who remember, uh, we, we had Afton Newfeld on a while back. Uh, Yashila is the new Afton. Uh, yeah. So at some point... You'll be on the microphone too, I'm guessing. <laughs>
Well, thanks to everybody for coming. Uh, Courtney, I hope you learned something. This is part of your internship. Uh, you know what a, what, a, what a cheap podcast looks like now in the basement of a dude's house. Uh, <laughs> Katie, thanks as always. And um, I, I, th- I hope people got something from this. Uh, any last thoughts or feelings? No, just let go of the rules. Yeah, that's a, that's actually that's a really good one. Yeah, that can be really challenging. And if you have trouble letting go of those rules, uh, Zephyr Wellness is the place to go, and we can help uh, teach you non-attachment. So, on behalf of the Zephyr Wellness family and the Noggin Notes crew, I wish you all great mental wellness and good eating habits, intuitively. Bye bye.